Listen to God's word as I read from 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 7. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds <clears throat> by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. What a dramatic scene. David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave, hiding from this bloodthirsty King Saul who has been hunting after him. And now here he comes into the cave all by himself, and he is right there in the midst of their grasps. Surely this is the will of God that David strike down Saul. We sometimes talk about making decisions as there being an open door, and surely this would be considered an open door for David to take out his enemy. If not an open door, sometimes we say, well, if the door is closed, maybe there would be an open window. So I've titled my sermon, The Window or the Word. The Window or the Word. Window and word have a nice alliteration, too, rather than door and uh, word. So, uh, But the window and the word is what we're going to use today to think about what guided David in this decision that was in front of him. It was a decision that he had to come to in the midst of, uh, of a very trying circumstance, the press of, uh, of long months of hiding from Saul, and the persuasion of his trusted men. What led him to decide otherwise than to walk through that open door or to crawl through that window. Let me briefly summarize the story here. In chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, we found out that the Lord reigned over, over history, 
that he turned Saul away from chasing after David, almost capturing him, because the Philistines had invaded. So Saul had to go and take care of business. But he never forgot David. As soon as he had taken care of the Philistines, and as soon as he got the word, that intel that he needed, take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Saul marshaled his soldiers. He chose 3,000 select men. In other words, these are the special forces. And he went and he tracked him into, into that wilderness of Engedi. And the landscape of that area had many hills and caves where people could, could, uh, could hide. And that's exactly what David and his men were doing. Saul was hunting them, and so they holed up in a cave while Saul was passing by. And it just so happened. And we've noted that phrase before, haven't we? It just so happened. Uh, I note that because of that sense of the providence of God. This is not a chance circumstance for David. God did providentially bring Saul into David's cave. This is the Lord's doing. It just so happened that Saul went into the cave to, quote, attend to his needs. That's a polite way of saying he needed to go to the bathroom. And uh, while there, uh, probably laying his robe aside, he takes care of, of his business. And in the privacy of that cave, this became the perfect opportunity for David to get rid of Saul. And you can hear the eagerness of his men's voice. They urged David to, to go through this open door. They said, this is the day. This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as seems good to you. What will David do in this circumstance? Well, the open door, this open window, provides us something of a dilemma. So I want to think about the dilemma of this open window. What would David do? Well, the dilemma rises from the fact that God had indeed promised to David that he would be the next king. And it is very true that King Saul had acted wickedly he had taken the law into his own hands. He was bloodthirsty in the way he pursued this. He slaughtered an entire city of priests and men who served, men, women, and children. What would David do? It provides us an opportunity to answer one of those questions. How is it that David made a decision? How is it that, that therefore we learn to make decisions in our life as well? And maybe you've prayed as, as I have prayed sometimes. I have prayed that God would open certain doors. 
It's language that comes from the Bible. This is what Paul says in both of his letters. He, he describes how he has an open door for the gospel. And he invites those that he was writing to that, that they would, that they would pray that the Lord would bless as he, as he makes use of that open door of the gospel. And so it's understandable that we would pray for open doors and, and even if not a door, then a window as sometimes I've heard it prayed. Well, the idea has in mind that that a decision is made by the openness or or the seeming um, circumstances of that that are favorable, as opposed to something that is closed, something that is resisting or uh, uh, being opposing to that. And it tries to read God's will from his providence, to read God's will from his providence. But here, you must be careful. Because as one commentator says, an open door is not in and of itself proof of God's will. An open door is not proof of God's will. Why is that? I want to suggest two reasons why an open door is not proof of God's will. The first is you don't know the mind of God. And the second is that you may misunderstand or misinterpret those circumstances. So let me develop that a little bit. First of all, you don't know the mind of God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Who can search out his purposes? Certainly I can't, not fully. And so sometimes it is God's purpose to test your faith, to strengthen you in days to come when his will is not known to you. In this case, we see that in David in that he knew and end point of what God had promised to him, he would be king, the Lord hadn't revealed what would come between. And so he spent months and even years waiting for that end point. And there's a testing of David's faith that we have seen God doing in the midst of this. We could cite lots of other examples, but let me point out what I read this morning from 2 Corinthians, that Paul learned that when God said no to his request, that there was a testing of his faith that was taking place. He prayed that the Lord would remove the thorn in his flesh, but God said no. In this case, God said no directly to him. He didn't leave him not knowing that uh, that purpose. Uh, he didn't reveal him to him exact purposes of, uh, of that thorn in the flesh, but he did help him to see an overall direction or an overall purpose for him. God's answer, my grace is sufficient for you, 
for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So God didn't tell him all that he needed to know here, but he told him enough to strengthen his faith to embrace this answer that the thorn in the flesh would not be taken away. And he came to know and accept this dependence upon Christ. He came to, to know and accept it in a way that he was able to not just endure the trial, but as Second Corinthians says, he could take pleasure in his infirmities. He could take pleasure in reproaches, needs, persecutions, distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, David, uh, Paul and David didn't just endure these difficulties, but instead knew that God was at work in them. He was strengthening their faith. And he will strengthen your faith as well, so that you may know in a difficult providence that in your weakness that he is strong. There's another aspect of not knowing the mind of God. Sometimes it's God's purpose, purpose to answer you in a way that says, not yet. Not yet. Sometimes the desire of your heart is something that will come about, as with David's desire. God had revealed he would be king. He could pray that that would take place, but it wasn't happening yet. Once again, Paul learned this. He wanted to take the gospel into Asia Minor, but the Spirit of God himself restrained him. You might call that a closed door. <laughs> Another very direct answer from God. Not yet. The door was closed. But it was a good desire of Paul to take the gospel into Asia Minor. That was God's will, wasn't it? Well, yes, but not yet. The door would later open and the church would grow and be established in Asia Minor, but not yet. And so it was for David as well, not yet. Those desires that you have that are good and holy, that rise out of God's word, are sometimes answered not yet. Another aspect of not knowing the mind of God is that sometimes it is God's purpose to chasten you. Sometimes it's God's purpose to correct or to discipline, to, to, to purify you from some sin that may be rooted deeply in you. All along the way in David's life, this, this training, this testing surely has a purpose as well of rooting out in him certain sins. Not perfectly, because we see, even though as a man of God, that sins still entangle him all throughout the rest of his life. But the Lord is using these trials to help him to understand his utter dependence upon, upon Christ. And such is our dependence as well. At Hebrews 12, speaks of God's providence in this way, that the Lord chastens the children that he loves. And so while not every hard circumstance is a response to your sin, 
Sometimes it is. And it's good for you to ask, oh Lord, is this because of my sin? And with the psalmist to say, it was good that I was chastened because then I understood my sin. God's love is demonstrated in it. God's love is demonstrated in that chastening because he does chasten those he loves. And he helps you by his spirit to uh, to fight against that sin that he is discovering. He enables you to uh, to be renewed in faith. You may be at a place to say, there's no way I can fight against this. It is so ingrained. It is. I see its webs in everything I think and do. But the Lord strengthens you. And the Lord helps you to persevere in faith, knowing that that sin is not your master. He has died on your behalf to set you free so that you can fight against that sin. One final aspect of that not knowing the mind of God with this array of options, it may seem confusing, but this too may be part of God's purpose. Sometimes God tests your faith by just making you stop and to to think through the options that are in front of you, to, to, to cry out to God, O oh Lord, why is this happening? What what is it that you are are doing in my life? What direction would you have me to take to honestly evaluate them? And I have to observe that all too often in my own life, and really in in all of our culture, we want instant answers. We want it all to be easy. And sometimes that trial of faith, sometimes that wondering why and and trying to discern the will of God is one way that the Lord just makes you stop and to wait upon the Lord. I remember having a conversation with my dad when I was in high school. I was praying for an open door or window about where I would go to school, what would happen next. And I had thought of a lot of different things. I thought about going into the military. I thought about following my sister to the school that she was going to. I thought about going into a Christian ministry with boys, Christian Service Brigade. There were a lot of ideas that were running through my head, and I didn't know what God wanted me to do, so I, I was I asked my dad. And I remember saying something to the effect that I wish someone would just make the decision for me. I think I secretly wanted him to make that decision for me. <laughs> but he didn't. And, and I learned from him that day. He was helping me to depend upon the Lord. And so he listened to the things that I was thinking about. 
He brought up things I hadn't thought about. Worked through some of the evaluation of that, and he prayed with me. And then he let me decide. And he supported me in that decision. And in God's providence, uh, there were many good things. There were many trials that came after making that decision. But I didn't know, no, 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 the will of God. He didn't whisper in my ear. He didn't write it on a billboard. I had to wrestle through these things. I got counsel. I prayed. And then I made a decision. Secondly, an open door is not in and of itself proof of God's will because you don't know the mind of God, but also because you may misunderstand or even misinterpret those circumstances. This may be no fault of yours. It may be that you just don't know all things. Have you ever had one of those circumstances where you you thought for sure that this is what was presented to you, only to find out later that you didn't know the whole story? And once you knew the whole story, it shifted completely what you thought about that situation. So sometimes no fault of yours, and so... With the best knowledge that you have, you make a decision. So that's one way that you might misunderstand the providence of what is set before you. But you can also come to certain conclusions based on faulty reasoning, too. You may read that situation looking through glasses that have a certain tint to them. Right? So if you don't wear glasses, think about putting on glasses that have a certain color to them. You can ask Henry about this later. The color of the world is shaped by what you're looking through. And that can be sometimes selfish. In fact, it's very possible that you interpret the circumstances around you through glasses that are tinted towards your favor. And so it looks good, and it looks like a decision you ought to make because that's the decision you really want. It's favorable towards you. And I would suggest that this is the test that David faced right here. On the surface, getting rid of Saul would have solved lots of David's problems, right? And he could even reason from the fact that he was to be the next king that, lo and behold, here is the method for him to ascend to the throne by getting rid of the king who was already there. And even the council around him was pressing. It was suggesting exactly this. This is God's doing. The Lord has brought your enemy into your hand. 
you would even hear David use this type of language. But it's measured language. We sang some of it in Psalm 18 about the enemies that David had to face. We sing it in Psalm 54. There will be more psalms like this. The enemies of God are brought into the hands of God's people. But that prayer is measured by, uh, by the fact that David and the other psalmists say, God, you bring about your vengeance. You bring about your judgment. And so David didn't listen to his men's advice. Instead, he snuck up into the cave to that that robe that Saul probably laid aside, and he quietly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And even this act bothered David. His conscience was burdened. Why? Well, he says this in verse 6. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. You see, this open door was not a proof of God's will. David decided based on the fact that he did know a portion of God's will. Not only did he know that he would one day be king, but he knew that Saul was the king, the Lord's anointed, which leads us to the word as opposed to the window. David's decision was ruled by God's word. And I say that because of the way two times David identifies Saul as the Lord's anointed. There are other places where he he says, Saul is my enemy. Remember that Psalm 54 is about this very occasion. and, And he speaks about his kinsmen as enemies. He speaks about... Uh, Saul is lumped in that as well, so David is is not painting a rosy picture over Saul as if he could do no wrong. He did do wrong, but he was the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed. It was the choice of the people of God to ask for a king and and, and they were wrong in, in the way in which they did, went about that, wrong in choosing a, a king like the nations around them, but God gave them Saul. And that's very clear. You can look back at the passages that go over that. And it must have been a very difficult, wide-open door that David faced, but David said no because Saul was God's anointed. Now, we don't always know the will of God, but in this case, that 
revelation of the Lord's anointing meant that it was not for David to lift up his hand against him. That wasn't David's place. He didn't have the authority to do that. And so he restrained his hand, and he restrained the hands of his soldiers as well. He refused to take revenge as it was presented to him. And not only that, we could take it one step further. Not only did he restrain his hand, but he honored the king. He honored him. Not because Saul was a great king, not because he was a good king, but he honored Saul because he was the king. It was the Lord's anointed. Practically speaking, this is is just good policy. If David nurtured a spirit of rebellion against the present king, what happens when he is king? Well, you can throw off, uh, you can follow the conclusion. uh, Rebellion is, is, is natural. But it must have been more than that. He honored the king because of God. One application that may be made about this is that God is the one who institutes human government. And this is a huge, wonderful subject that deserves development. I'll, I'll just tease you a little bit to, to think more about the role of the king, the role of the government as God given and the way that Christ leads that and and rules over that and calls governments underneath his domain. Uh, I won't develop that here because I'm concentrating on making decisions and what led David to bend his knee, to bend his will to God's will. And that really is the answer, that we bend our will to God's will. And that's revealed in his word. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week about making decisions. He posed the question this way. What do you do when you have a decision where on one side you have this golden opportunity, an open door, and on the other side you have God's word? How do you choose? hopefully presented that way, you would immediately answer, you choose God's word. You choose God's word. And not only do you choose that word, but you pray that God would would give you wisdom to embrace that wholeheartedly. In the dilemma that I suggested, a a golden opportunity and God's word, the the circumstance that, that often happens is that we keep wanting to go this way for a variety of reasons. And we can even convince ourselves that this is God's will. The window is so inviting. It's so wide open. But the window is opposed to God's word. And so God's word must rule. And then we 
we'll say, okay, God, and we'll hold our nose as we go ahead with this. Keep looking back over our shoulder at Sodom and Gomorrah, where our heart really is. No, we pray that the Lord would give us faith to know his will, to know his word, to make decisions based on that, to embrace that decision, and to follow it wholeheartedly. We would bend our will to his. And you can't miss our Savior Jesus Christ at this point in the person of David. Our Savior Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, agonized over what was in front of him. He went out into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and even prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. And he embraced that will of the Father. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, he turned his face towards Jerusalem and the cross and the suffering of the wrath of of the Father poured out upon him. Because he knew it was the will of God. By God's grace, you too can embrace the will of God. How do you discern that? Well, I've described a window and a word. A window and God's word. And I do think it's appropriate to pray that God would make your path straight in front of you, to pray even that God would open the door, that there would be favorable indications that would help you make a decision. But if that decision is against God's word, you need to immediately give yourself to the will of God that is revealed in his word. And when there is no word, well, then you pray, you get counsel, and you, uh, you take the time to sort through what the Lord is doing in your life. Is he deepening your faith here, causing you to press through something that is difficult? Is he disciplining you so that there would be sin that's rooted out? Is he causing you just to pause and to consider those steps that are in front of you. In all of that, lean upon the Lord. Ask for his direction. Ask that he would help you to discern his will. And ask that he would show you his word applied to your life. May God give you grace to do that, to know and to do his will. Asking him to shape not only your decisions, but your desires as well, so that you'll be in step with his spirit, so you'll be in step with his word. Amen. Let's pray.
Oh God, we do pray that you would direct our steps. We pray that you would show us your ways, that we would know that way of life everlasting through saving faith in our, in our Redeemer Jesus. You would show us the way in which we would live that out. God, we do pray that you would, would guide us uh, to, uh, to discern through, uh, through the many means that you have given to us. Today, make us especially to know your will through your word. Help us to orient our decisions around that. Help us to search your scriptures to find things that apply to those decisions that we make. Oh God, we do pray that you would shape our decisions and our desires to know your will through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Close by singing Psalm 57b. Another one of those psalms in the context of David's suffering under the persecution of Saul. And the close of this psalm expresses David's orientation to God. You be exalted, O God. You be exalted on high. The enemy spread a tent, but you be exalted. I will worship you. Let's sing Psalm 57b. Please stand to sing.